I want to say again, welcome and thank you for being here. And welcome to everybody who is online. Look, I'm, I'm half happy about the online space because if it gets too convenient for people, they're going to think, why would I come to church when I can be in my pajamas, have a little break, break and coffee and enjoy the service? I'm talking to you. <laughs> we expect you back soon. <laughs> um, but welcome uh, everyone online as well. Church, today I want to preach a sermon I've entitled The Fearless Early Church. Amen. And let me just let me just pray before I get started. Dear Lord, thank you that you are here. It's evident. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you know we we know that we can do nothing without you. You give us the ability to preach, to to, to tune our hearts in, to listen. It's, it's both the, the, the preaching and the receptivity. Holy Spirit, without you, it's not possible. So I pray that you would work on our hearts, help me to deliver a word that is relevant and is timely and that is for the church of today. In Jesus' name, amen. So this year, I'll just kind of remind us that we, we are exploring what it means to be a fearless Christian, as the banners kind of put that nicely. We want to have a courage culture which is opposite to living in fear. This is not a fearful state of mind that we are. We want to be courageous. Speaking of courage culture, the early church demonstrated exactly what this looks like. It's quite remarkable. The early church was fearless. They were fearless against everything that was chucked their way. Every opposition, <coughs> they were fearless. Today I want to preach a two-part sermon. Part one, I want to share some comparison between the early church and the church of today of challenges we face. Okay, so draw a few similarities of what they had to face and what we are currently facing. Part two, I'm going to unpack what enabled the early church to be fearless. That is the part of the sermon that I want to kind of preach because, you know, yes, we're going to experience challenges like many generations, not just the early church, has faced. But what enabled them in the middle of that to be fearless? That's part two of the sermon. I want us to learn from the early church on how we can be fearless no matter what the challenge is. So let me start by sharing the progression, the progression of opposition against the early church. The progression, okay? First came the threats, all right? In Acts 4, 16, it says this, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a noble miracle has been done through them is evidence to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. They threatened the early church. Do not speak this name, Jesus. Rulers of the people and elders of Israel threatened the disciples. This would have been unsettling for anyone 
Okay? Put yourself in the shoes of the, receiving the threats. It would have been unsettling and it wouldn't have been very nice. Like the early church, the church of today is being threatened. I'm going to be a little bit political for a moment, just to draw some comparisons, and then I'm going to preach about you know, what enabled them to be fearless. But our freedom of speech and freedom of religion are being thrown out by our legislators, where these laws, if passed, will incarcerate those of the Christian movement who oppose sinful lifestyles. That is the reality that we may be facing, already are facing in some situations. The ACT government has proposed to change the Discrimination Act to give judges the power to decide matters of theology and give courts the power to interfere in church practice and religious worship. So imagine that. It's no longer governed by the church itself, but it's given over to people that aren't spirit-led to make decisions about what we can and what we can't do. It's a proposal that is at risk of passing into law without adequate scrutiny or consultation with stakeholders who will be hit hardest, churches and religious community groups. I'll say it again, the church of today is being threatened just like the early church was. You can see the similarity. Do not speak the name of Jesus. And then today, we're going to restrict you on what you can say, what you can't say. We're going to control that. On a side note, church, (laughs) we can join petitions fighting for religious freedoms. So if you ever see an email from myself or Pastor Sue about you know what could be happening, what bill they would like to pass, you can be a part of the the the, uh, the, the opposing of that bill, and you can have your say. Let's talk about the progression. Let's continue to talk about the progression of opposition for the early church. The second step of opposition towards the early church was prison. Signs and wonders followed the disciples and the religious leaders became jealous. They didn't like it. Acts 5.17 says this, Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. A temporary lockup of the Christian leadership was attempted for the purpose of intimidating the movement. Okay? So we've gone from threats to now we're going to put you in prison. Shut up. Stop speaking the name of Jesus. We don't like it. Progression. The church of today also suffers members of Christ being in prison. I'm talking more about Australia, if you don't mind, for our context. In Australia, we don't experience this level of persecution as much, right? But I have heard of imprisonment 
um, being already done in different states, okay? And so you're thinking at the moment, where is Pastor Dave going this morning? This is a downer It's not. Right? Because I want to preach part two, and that's going to be lift your spirit, right? Christians saying, staying true to their faith are being punished. That's a reality. The progression of opposition against the early church went further. Threats, prison. The secret planning of violence, Acts 5.26. We don't have that one, Sonny. But the secret planning of violence. Then the physical violence and threats came forth from the opposition. And in Acts 5.40 it says, And they agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So we've gone from threats, right? Planning, well, threat, threats, prison, planning of violence, execution of violence, right? It occurred to the first church. Further still, opposition occurred in unjust trials, okay? False witnesses had twisted what Stephen had really said, and as a result, he suffered violence by being stoned and was murdered. So Stephen, famous story, right, of, of somebody who, you know, pretty much stood up, filled with the Holy Spirit, and testified, talked about the history. Pastor Tom mentioned Stephen last week, which I think was pretty cool. But he suffered violence and was murdered. Violence and murder is obviously the final step of opposition in this progressiveness that I'm speaking about, okay? All right, but here goes, all right? But what was the response of the early church in the middle of opposition? What was the response? Despite all the opposition, threat, prison, planning, execution, unfair trials, violence, murder, the church grew in number. The church grew in number. How was it that in the middle of opposition, revival was breaking out? The natural response could have been shrink back. Hide away, give up, forget. The price is too too much to pay. As a result of fearing, because human beings are human beings, we fear, we get afraid when you've got authority figures saying you cannot and you will not, or else. Shrink back out of fear because of the times and the opposition that was occurring. But that is not what happened. The church was added to daily. Yeah. And in Acts 2.47, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Next verse, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. Hallelujah. Now, in those days when the numbers of the disciples was multiplying and the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied 
multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, opposite to what could have happened, right? With the with the persecution, the opposition, the obstacles, opposite happened. The church grew. Hallelujah. But let me go to part two of the word, because this is where I get excited. Right? What enabled the early church to be fearless in the middle of opposition? What did they have on them? Oh, <laughs> I'm preaching to a people that are very engaged. Hallelujah. Let me read it. The day of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.1 says this. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Hallelujah. This would have been a God experience like no other. Yeah. I'm not sure if anyone has experienced fire on the head of anybody. Anybody? No. Anybody? I can't see any hands. And my hand's not raised as well. Actually, the, I have. <laughs> speak to you later. <laughs> the visible sign, church, of the Holy Spirit was being outpoured. However, I want to I want to focus on something. I think many Christians we get fixated, we get fixated upon the upper room experience, and forget to focus on what occurred thereafter. Because the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is a purpose of why the Lord allowed the Spirit to come upon man like never before. There was a purpose for that. We love, as Christians, the goosebumps, the feeling of God's spirit moving. We love it, right? The experiential side of God. We love that. Just, ah, it just feels so good. As God is here. He's moving. It's wonderful. We love that. You know, my experience growing up, uh, you know, this was back in the day when, believe it or not, guys, Church was three times a week, <laughs> Sunday morning, Sunday night, in a midweek service. We were radical as, you know, believers, I guess, back, back in the day. And as a kid, I just, you know, tag along. No soccer on Sunday, no sport on Sunday, right? But I was in the house of God and I did see so many things. I saw, you know, different spiritual manifestations, different things happening in my time at church, being with the Lord. But let me talk about the purpose of the Holy Spirit for a moment. It's important because I feel like sometimes we can get carried away with the experiential side of our Christianity and, oh, we just want to feel God and all that. And that's wonderful. I'm not saying it's not wonderful to have that moment with the Lord, but God's Spirit was not poured out for my pleasure for my experience, for my goosebumps, a consumer mentality. It's all about me. 
As long as I'm building, I'm happy. No, 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 no. God's Spirit was poured out to equip the saints to fulfill the Great Commission. That's the purpose why the Holy Spirit came upon men. The Holy Spirit empowered the disciples to be courageous in the face of adversity and opposition. Only God knew what was ahead. And God knows, church, what we face today. Hallelujah. Without the Holy Spirit, the disciples wouldn't have been capable to be witnesses of Jesus. And neither are you or I. We're not capable. We need the Holy Spirit to come to empower us, to give us the courage in a generation that pushes against Jesus Christ. We need his empowerment. To be bold like never before. Acts 1.4 says this. And being assembled together with them. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. But to wait for the promise of the father. Which he said. You have heard from me. You know it's funny because. We experience what it means to be. Uh, in lockdown. You know during COVID and all that. You're not allowed to go anywhere. And this is a, I was just kind of thinking about the, the, the similarity in that the Lord said, I don't want you to go anywhere yeah. until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Stay where you are. Because he knew that in our natural ability to be able to be old in the difficult times, in, in, in troubles and trials that face us, naturally speaking, I get scared. I want to hide away. I want to shrink back. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody and fills somebody, you get a boldness and a courage, right? It's not man-made. It's not manufactured by us. It's given to us by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be His witnesses, to accomplish His will. Acts 1-4. Oh, sorry, I already read that. In other words, don't attempt anything without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Stay where you are. Wait for the Holy Spirit. After the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to testify of God in many different languages. Testify of God. You see, the upper room experience, as wonderful as it was, They just didn't remain in the upper room experience and just continue to bask in the presence of God. They got up and went and started to testify of Jesus Christ. It's such a wonderful picture of him going, all right, here's the power, now go. Now you can be my witnesses. And they spoke of the good things of God because it's all about him. It's not about us. It's not about what we can get out of this Christian spiritual experience. It's about Him. They spoke languages they had not previously spoken. People were amazed and perplexed. Some mocked them saying, they are full of new wine. But we see the purpose of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit when Peter rises up with courage, fearless, 
and begins to preach. Acts 2, 38 says, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In 41 it says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Hallelujah. You see the progression of God's will happen in Acts. It's beautiful how you see it. He says, wait. Don't go yet. Until. And then when they receive the Holy Spirit. I'm ready to chat when you... <laughs> Why does it do that? Siri's engaging. Siri's saying amen. Yeah. Siri's saying amen to this. Hallelujah. Church, I want to close in a moment, but I want to touch on another point before I close. So we're learning what enabled the early church to be fearless in the middle of opposition. We spoke, first of all, about the opposition that we face, the threat, and all the other stuff, and how similar to the early church, some of the things we are seeing today, we spoke about that. We spoke about what was the response of the early church? Well, God added to the church daily. It was opposite to what should have perhaps happened. No, they went forward. And how was that possible? Well, it was the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to give boldness, to give courage against any, to, to keep going forward no matter what. There was one other beautiful scriptural truth that I believe enabled the early church to be Fearless in the middle of opposition, and that was the fellowship of the saints. The fellowship of the saints. Acts 2, 44 says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily, with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. You can, you know, hear the heart of this passage as the church of Christ stood up, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The assembling of the saints was not neglected. It was what gave the church strength, having everything in common, having a single focus, looking out for one another, meeting daily. Now, I'm not asking us, church, to meet daily at people's homes because if you're like me and you give me a surprise visit, you might see what you don't want to see. Right? I've got five kids to help me make my house a... Uh, just say a crazy place sometimes, okay? So it's not about, you know, every single day we have to meet, but you can hear the heart of togetherness and that we're not meant to be doing our faith journey alone. We spoke about that recently. The strength of the early church was their togetherness. They didn't attempt their faith journey alone. I don't know what's ahead for us, but I can see the strength of unity and togetherness demonstrated by the early church. And if I, 
Listen, church, if we can learn some of what happened early on and apply it to what we do as a family in Christ now, we can believe that God will also move as he once did. Amen? I love that the Bible gives you, it doesn't hide what happened. It's right there. And as you read it, you can learn and go, wow, we can actually learn from this ourselves and we can adopt some of what the early church did in the middle of opposition so we can continue to move forward. Could you imagine, church, what the gathering of the saints would have looked like in the middle of opposition? It wouldn't have been an option, but instead a priority. I I need my brothers and sisters in Christ. Imagine the prayers that would have been prayed. God, help us. Help us, God, to be courageous. Holy Spirit, keep giving us the boldness to rise up, to not shrink back, to not run away. Help us, Lord. Imagine the prayers. The encouragement they would have given each other. Heartfelt, with sincerity. They met together. They built each other. They refocused on the mission at hand and continued advancing the kingdom of God being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. Church, I hope we can receive that this morning. That, you know, we're human, right? And we don't want to bury our heads in the sand and pretend that sometimes we don't see the threats, right? The opposition that's coming towards the church. But all through the generations, not just the early church, there has been threats on the church, historically. But praise the Lord that His Word and His will will be accomplished on this earth in Jesus' name. Amen. And we can learn together Myself, all of us, as we hear different, uh, you know, stories of news and laws that are wanting to be passed and bills that they want to introduce, blah, blah, blah. We can together reflect and grow together as a body and say, God, empower us with your Holy Spirit. Pour out your Holy Spirit as you have once before on us today and now. You know, I feel like the problem sometimes can be, and myself included, is there's a lot of competition for our attention. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He's not going to push and force his way into our priority list of our life, of what is most important. He's not going to do that. It's up to us sometimes to self-evaluate of what we put up as highest priority in our life. And maybe we need to reorganize that and say, Holy Spirit, I want to put you number one. If that means some other things in my life have got to go to make room for you to come and to be to be ever present in my life right here, right now. So be it. I would rather not watch this or listen to that or be a part of that so that I can have you, Holy Spirit, with me, empowering me every day to do your work. And as we go forth, not forgetting that you and I, the strength of what we do is to your left and to your right. 
your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the strength that you can gain to continue moving forward in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm.